As I was saying, we're in the season of Lent, and uh, people talk about self-denial during Lent a lot. And like, oh, what are you going to give up for Lent? And uh, it always kind of makes me cringe the way that people approach Lent. There's a a correct way to approach it, which is, yes, it's a time of self-reflection. It's a time to uh, uh, examine ourselves and make sure that we are uh, where we should be with the Lord. It's a time to take inventory and it's a time to grow in the Lord. But it seems like it turns into something that's self-centered instead of God-centered. You people say, okay, what are you going to give up for Lent? And they'll, they'll have cherry picked the thing that they want to give up. And it's either something they don't want to do anyway, or it's something that's going to make them miserable not doing. And you know, the things of God aren't supposed to make you miserable. And so, uh, this is kind of what I want to get at today. And Jesus words. Or where we, that we read today, they are where you get to the heart of what the Bible says about self-denial. It's not about let's just uh, make ourselves uncomfortable for six weeks. It's about examining ourselves and getting right with God. You know, uh, one of the first spiritual scriptural principles I ever saw at work in the marketplace, as I was becoming aware of the reality of God, was was this one, where Jesus says, he who loses his life for my sake will find it. He who loses his life will save it. Now, I was in management training, or I was in management training uh, uh, with uh, Allstate, And in their training, they made it clear that if you want to get a promotion, if you want to climb the corporate ladder here at Allstate, you need to make sure that those people that you are supervising know how to do your job. Uh, Because uh, if if you don't have anybody to replace you, If you've made yourself so indispensable to the company that the company can't get along without you, then we can't promote you. We can't move you on up because we're going to have to keep you there where you are so you can do what needs doing. And so we had to learn to delegate. And I'm so glad I learned how to delegate. It's so cool to give somebody else something to do and then you not have to do it, you know. But it took me a while to learn how to delegate. And it's something that's uh, uh, it served me well and helped me to serve the Lord well ever since. You don't have to do it all yourself. But, you, but the whole principle there was if you hang on to your job, you're going to lose your future. If you share your job and help others learn how to do it, then you can move on. And that's what happened. Whenever I left Allstate, uh, 
One of uh, my employees uh, wound up taking my place because he had learned how to do my job. And so uh, it didn't just bless me, it blessed him as well. So uh, anyway, but that's it. It's a scriptural principle. And uh, we want to do things just the opposite in life. And this is another big theme in all the Bible. But it says in Proverbs fourteen twelve, there's a way which seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. And then this same phrase is repeated again in Proverbs sixteen twenty five, two chapters ahead, the same words. There is a way which seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. And that's another scriptural principle. If you are living out of your flesh, if you are living out of your just basic innate reactions and emotions and all that sort of thing, you're going to miss the kingdom of God. But if you instead wind up doing things God's way, you'll wind up with a richer and deeper life that goes on forever. Uh, some of you, I won't give the whole story today, but there was a time when I was, well, Sharon and I were in a sailboat. It was a little sailboat and we had a couple of friends with us and we got that little marlin going just as fast as it would go, just tacking in the wind. And all of a sudden it went on down into the water. It flipped. And I was, uh, I was under the water. I didn't know where the sail was. And uh, so I started trying to swim. I figured I needed to swim at an angle to miss the sail and not get tangled in the sail or the lines of the sail. And so I swam and I swam and I swam and I was just getting tireder and tireder. And it was getting harder and harder to swim. And then my ears started feeling a lot of pressure. And that's when it dawned on me, I was swimming the wrong way, real hard. And I had almost swum to the bottom. Is that a word, swum? Anyway, I'd almost gotten to the bottom of the bay. And uh, I realized I didn't have any oxygen left. And I was wanting to take a breath so bad. And I knew if I did, it would kill me. And so I remembered something. There is a law, a law of physics called the law of buoyancy. And I realized that if I would just quit doing what I was trying to do and just hold my breath as long as and hard as I could, just, just spend all my energy not breathing, which is a natural thing to want to do, you know? So anyway, I just, got still and quiet and held on and a super a natural power a natural law went into effect and I just floated to the top like a cork and then I was able to take a breath so that's a natural law there are spiritual laws you know, you don't see you you see the natural law at work but you can't see the law. And it's the same way, just like Jesus said, 
uh, you, you don't know which way the wind blows, but you can see what comes of it. And it's the same with the spirit of God and his spiritual laws and the spiritual power that's available to us in this world today. It's there. You can't see it, but you experience it. And so uh, this law of saving your life and losing it, this, it really does work that way. So many times we, just like I was, we know what we ought to do. We ought to swim and get out from under the sail. But the way that we do it kills us and hurts those around us. And so uh, we have to let go and let God. And it's a hard thing to do in life. And so Jesus has become our example in all of this. And the biggest, one of the biggest examples he gave was whenever he washed the disciples' feet. And whenever he got through, he said, I gave you an example that you should do as I did to you. Truly, uh, truly, I say to you, a slave is not greater than his master, nor is one who is sent greater than the one uh, who sent him. And then he says this. If you know these things, you're blessed if you do them. Knowing it's not enough. You see, you can know something, but if you do it, you'll be blessed. And this is a time of self-examination. And uh, anyway, I just want to add another uh, another major scripture here today. In Philippians 2, 3 through 11, it says, Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. And that's why most people in the world want to do things, isn't it? For what they can get out of it. Uh, and, and for just, uh, just their own arrogance and their own way that they want to do things. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. And then he goes on and says, have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. And that was what happened at the fall, wasn't it? The devil said, you'll not surely die if you eat of that fruit. You just, it'll, it'll make you where you'll have the knowledge of good and evil, just like God. You can be like God. You can take control of your own life, basically is what he was saying. And that was the fall when we started disobeying God and decided we wanted to be the Lord of our own lives. But emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, and being made in the likeness of men. Basically, he's saying that loving his life, he let go of it. Or losing his life, he let go of it. That's what happened on the cross. 
being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name. So that the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We're called by our Lord to deny ourselves, to give up our right to ourselves. And he set the example. He gave up the most. And in the end, you see, he gains the most. He saw, God saw, you had a need. A need that you couldn't take care of yourself, your sin. And out of his love for you, he paid the price. He humbled himself. He was higher than us, but he humbled himself and took our place. And that's kind of what self-denial is really all about. If you really look in the Bible, but Hebrews 12, 2 adds to that says, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. So you see, he went to the cross for the joy set before him, for the joy that was set before him. There is a joy that comes from self-denial. And it's a joy that we experience in this life and in the world to come forever. Now, as I said, this is a season of Lent and people are uh, uh, looking to things to give up. Let me just ask you, what greater sacrifice could you give this Lent than your self-centeredness? What, what greater could you give to the Lord? He's already told you that's what he wants. He's made it clear. And from what I read in the Bible, this is the greatest sacrificial gift that you can ever give. Uh, I'm going to skip ahead, then I'm going to come back. But uh, in, uh, the, uh, in Isaiah, uh, the, uh, well, you, we read, uh, that, uh, we'll see, I've lost it now. Where is it? Let me find it here. Well, it's something I stuck in here just before I ran out the door this morning. And apparently it did not. Oh, I know where it is. It's here. This is where I rewrote my sermon this morning, then picked up my old one. Okay, so let's get where we're supposed to be right now. 58th chapter of Isaiah. Do you fast like you do today to make your voice heard on high? Is it a fast like this which I choose? A day for a man to humble himself? Well, Jesus humbled himself, but you see, it's different. 
what he's talking about is religious humbling of yourself uh putting ashes on your head and uh uh, acting all religious but he said that's not the kind of sacrifice that i want is this a sacrifice uh, that i choose is it for bowing one's head like a reed and for spreading out sackcloth and ashes as a bed will you call this a fast even an acceptable day of the lord is not the fast which i choose now this is what the lord wants you know, this he's saying it right here it's the same thing that Jesus is saying whenever he says, if anyone or whoever will come after me, whoever will follow me must take up his cross, must deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. Not just six weeks before Easter. You got to get that. This is something we're supposed to be doing all year long all year long it's not something that we do periodically and then go back to living our sinful lives again no it's the way that he wants us to live every day whoever he says would follow me let him take up his cross daily and follow me now some people will say oh now discipleship well that's 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 a different category than just being saved no no, there's not different categories like some things are expected that are of one that's not of another. Instead, he says, whoever. So he said, this is the bottom line, folks. Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. That's the bottom line of entering into the kingdom of God and living in the kingdom of God every day, 24-7. That's why uh, my uh, internet domain is his24-7.com. is because I know I'm supposed to be his 24-7, not just six weeks out of a year. So uh, anyway, it says, is this not the fast that I choose to loosen the bonds of wickedness, to undo the bands of the yoke, and to let the oppressed go free and break every yoke. Is it not to divide your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into the house? When you see the naked, to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh. That means take care of your relatives. If they need you, don't hide from them whenever you know they're coming needing something. Well, then, let's see. Let's see, is it not to divide your bread with the hungry, bring the homeless poor into the house? When you see the naked, to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh. Listen to this. Then your light will break out like the dawn and your recovery will speedily spring forth and your righteousness will go before you. The glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Now this is getting to the place of being actually a promise from God. It's a promise from God. Uh, your glory will rise. And he goes on to talk about the nation. If the nation 
would put away these things like uh, and one of them is is pointing the finger and accusing each other and just being adversaries with each other all the uh, all the time that so it's got to be put away and put behind us and if a nation will do that then they will recover speedily and the people that do that will be called the repairers of the breach and the rebuilders of the wall we we moan and we grow we groan and we mourn today for the what's happening to our culture here in the United States it's happening because we haven't denied ourselves and started following God we're out after our own stuff every day that's why we're where we are in our country today and, and, and he tells us in Isaiah how to turn it around. So uh, anyway, I just want to, uh, uh, as I said, we want to give, we want to get and not to give. We don't want to share. We want other people to be given to us. And so we've got to, in our in this time, we need to be asking ourselves, what is it? There's a joy in self-denial. So let's go through a checkup real quickly. Oh, good. We've got time to do this. Uh, First of all, in Galatians, we read about the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. Now then, as I go through this, I want you to think of your own personal life and how you interact with the people around you, starting in your home, starting with uh, uh, the person that you have uh, uh, that you're going through life with right now and your relatives starting there not when you come to church on Sunday but starting there you know it's like uh, uh, the guy said uh, you know uh, uh, sometimes I wake up grumpy and sometimes I just let her sleep you know uh, so just don't but you don't wake up grumpy yourself you know, even if you're feeling bad, you don't have to be grumpy. That's kind of what I'm talking about. It starts right when you first wake up in the morning before you put your feet on the floor. So uh, anyway, Galatians five eighteen through 26. But if you are led by the spirit, you're not under the law. Now, the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery. Now we get into stuff that's going to hit really close to home. Hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of anger, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, you know, uh, every time I ask uh, somebody uh, about their relationship with the Lord and, and their sinfulness, well, I ain't never killed nobody. They've always, they always throw that in that I, I've never, I've, I've, I tried to keep the Ten Commandments and I, I, I never have killed anybody. They, they don't, they, they're not going to go very far into the rest of the stuff, but they think that they're pretty good there. And yet Jesus said, if you're angry at someone, without having just reason to be angry with them. That's the same as murder. So you see 
This is just it. This is hitting home. Drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I told you in the past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So if you're living out of this list, you're excluded from the kingdom of God. And this is the time of the year when we need to be examining ourselves and seeing, are we really where we ought to be? But this is one of those big buts that we see in the Bible. It's so important. It says, but the fruit of the spirit is now, is this what you're living out of? Love, joy, peace, patience, not tomorrow, but right now, you know, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That's the fruit of the spirit, which if you're going to put these, you're not supposed to put balance stuff. But if you were going to put in your put your life in the balance, which would have the most piled up on it from this list? Which way would your life tilt? Would it tilt toward the works of the flesh or the fruit of the spirit? Sharon and I were talking this past week about what does a holy person look like? Have you ever thought about that? What does a holy person look like to you? Some people think of somebody that keeps all these rules and expects everybody else to keep the rules or a hermit that stays away from everybody else. And they try to not lose their temper by not being around people, I guess. But uh, anyway, uh, you, you have these different aspects or these different ideas of what a holy person looks like. I was uh, uh, walking along with uh, Father Francisco de San Juan one time. Uh, he was a, a Catholic evangelist who was visiting in Jacksonville. And uh, we were just uh, taking a walk together. And uh, he was at the Catholic Church, was just two doors down from our, from our house. And I met him out in the front yard. We just struck up a friendship. We were walking. And he asked me, he said, Who's the holiest person you've ever met? And I named a, a person uh, that was in my church that she just loved the Lord. I could think of several. They said, well, the holiest person I ever met was a little white-haired lady in West Texas. She had uh, a disease to where her bones were so brittle that they would break even if she sneezed and she had to just lay on a on a, a mattress sort of a thing that she was strapped to because she couldn't move and uh, she just had a look of peace on her face and uh, he uh, asked her about her family he said do you have any family do he just I have some children I said, well, when do they come? Do they come to see you? He says, oh, no, Father. I haven't seen my children in 20 years, but I love them and I pray for them and I forgive them. He said, they haven't seen you in 20 years. Are they able to? Oh, yeah, they're able to come. They just don't have anything to do with me. But I love them and I pray for them. And he said, you're the holiest person I've ever met. 
I'm angry at your children just for hearing what you're saying about them. And yet you're forgiving them and loving them. And he got down on his knees and he said, bless me, please. He says, oh, no, father, I couldn't do that. He says, bless me. I need your blessing. And he took her hand and put it on his head. And finally, she blessed him. That was the holiest person he'd ever seen. Sharon and I were talking this morning. I remembered one of the holiest people that we've ever seen. His name was uh, uh, Pastor Morley. Morley. And he was a primitive Baptist preacher in his 80s. Tall, stood straight, and was the purest, most loving, gentle, humble person that you would ever meet. And his whole congregation was like that. They just lived, they were just pure people. And you could just tell it, their light shone just because they did, they didn't do anything arrogantly, but they were just the Lord's and you just knew it being around them. Just being in their presence made you want to be a better person. And you know, that's what a holy person should look like. That's what you should look like. Do you know that? You, whenever somebody sees you, they should see the fruit of the Spirit shining from your life. The thing to ask you during Lent is, do the people around me every day see that? Or is that just a mask that I put on when I go somewhere that I'm afraid that uh, I, I need to be looking like that for them? Because you see, we're always playing out our lives before an audience of one. Our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, our God, our Heavenly Father, and in the presence of the Holy Spirit that dwells in our hearts. And so if you'll stop and think, there's probably a lot of things you need to give up during Lent and every day of your life. Harsh words, (coughs) ugliness to other people, thinking poorly of people that you don't know their story. So many different ways that we judge people every day and we don't even know what's going on in their lives, really. John Wesley called us to be moving on to perfection. He encouraged us to do that. And this is the season to do that in, to practice the same sort of humility and concern that Jesus practiced. Whenever they see you, they should see him shining through you. I'll give you another description of what they should see. It's found in 1 Corinthians 13. If I speak with the tongues of the men and of angels and do not have love, I become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to move mountains, but do not have love, 
I am nothing. Now then, I just want to move on down. And I'm going to go through what love is. And as I do so, I want you to fill your name into the blank where love is. And does this fit you? Love, whatever your name is, is patient. Love is kind and is not jealous. Love does not brag and is not arrogant, does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own. That means insist on having its own way. It's not provoked. Boy, our world needs this today, doesn't it? It's not provoked, does not take into account a wrong suffered. Does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. Bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. But if there are gifts of prophecy, they will be done away. If there are tongues, they will cease. If there is knowledge, it will be done away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will all be done away. And it goes on. I hope when people see you, they see that description of love. You see, your cross is God's will, God's plan, God's purpose for you. Jesus' cross was a literal cross. And everything comes from his sacrificial example of serving his heavenly father and serving us. Now then, we've already talked about some of the ways that you can do this. Like whenever it comes in your home, are you seeking to find out what's important to the people around you and help them to become the person that God wants them to be? Are you finding out what they feel that they need and to the best of your ability, trying to provide it for them? That's where it starts. Not using harsh words. We're going to be held accountable for every word that we say in our homes, at the workplace. I've known some people that you could see love everywhere. Well, I was going to say it was my grandfather. He was one of the most loving and generous and kind people you'd ever know. But he was a contractor and he discovered he could get more work out of his foreman and superintendents if they started the day mad. And so he'd go around to the job sites and he'd cuss about how bad their work was going and leave them angry. But anywhere else you saw him, but see, he had a growing edge that I don't guess he ever found out about, but that was his growing edge. He, he did cuss from time. He never cussed around any of us. The only other time I know him cussing besides at the workplace was one time whenever my uh, grandmother had to uh, uh, get up a, uh, a, a urine sample for the doctor and she put it in the Listerine bottle and she left it on the back of the... And so he came in that morning saying... Honey, this Listerine tastes awful. I said, what Listerine? And when he discovered what was going on, she said, 
He'd throw up a while and he'd cuss a while. He'd throw up a while and he'd cuss a while, you know. But see, there's that growing edge coming out again. Uh, his, uh, his, his, the, the, he, he would resort to that language. So, but anyway, but see that, but there may be something like that in your life. It's, it's see, it's your reactions that help you see where you are, where you are with the Lord. Not your actions. You can plan your actions. You can't plan your reactions. And so that's just let look at yourself in the light of the Lord during this coming week. And what do people see? People need affection. They need attention. They need intimacy. They need security. They need kindness. They need respect. They need all sorts of things, and they should be getting those things from you. Are they? Now, you may think, well, if I try to live a life like that, I'll just be a doormat. I remember thinking that whenever the Lord called me. And uh, I said, Lord, if I start living the way you want me to live, I'm going to make myself vulnerable and I might get hurt. And he said, yeah, Joel, I know. But you know, 11 out of 12 ain't bad. He shared himself deeply with those closest to him. Only one of them deeply betrayed him. That's a good ratio, you know. But if you don't share yourself, if you don't make yourself vulnerable, if you don't give instead of trying to get and insisting on things, If you don't start doing that, you're never going to really start living the Christian life. And so if you've been going through life, getting and maybe uh, there's some people that you know what they need and what they want, but you're not going to give it to them until you get what you want from them. You need to stop that. You need to stop it. And instead... Quit handling things from a self-centered way that denies those people around you your real love. Because what I'm talking about is not becoming a doormat. What it is, is opening the door to your heart. And until you open that door, the Lord cannot come in and your light cannot go out. You remember what Jesus said? He said, you are the light of the world. Let people live your life in such a way that they'll see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. This is the way you do that. This is the way you let your light shine. You can't let your light shine with the door to your heart locked and shut. You have to open the door and then your light will shine. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.